welcome back to the podcast to trial by fire it's uh january 2022 i'm not sure what episode we're on it's in the 50 mid 50s i believe but uh i think i'm gonna just say happy new year and hope everybody's had a really good break and we're back and fresh uh Yermius and i have been working kind of behind the scenes on some bits and bobs but uh yeah how are you how are you uh faring with the new year man so far i'm i'm very very good this new year or beginning of this new year has been the absolute opposite of what beginning of last year was so 2022 is really starting off well actually they weren't that different but in terms of work we still had a lot of work uh, around christmas and new years around the holidays but if everything continues then 2022 is shaping up to be a fairly good year um so that's very nice like last year of course we're not the only ones that had a a uh, rougher year we didn't we didn't have it too bad um there's people that have had it plenty worse but if everything continues as it is right now we're gonna have a real good year so we can do a lot of more stuff by ourselves spend more time in the garden more time hunting more time doing all the things that we like to do drive dogs and whatnot that's really cool man it, it feels so weird to me because in november last year um we had we had kind of just met and I think I went back to, I was in, I was in Finland actually. So I went, I, we did that little Northern road trip, myself and John, my boss in Imeln. And we did that little Northern road trip. The first time I met you back in November. And then I went back to the Arctic and I was living up there for, what was it? Three months. I think it was like February, March and April. And that was around the time that we recorded the video that I did with you guys. And we really got to spend a lot of time together. So it's funny if it feels like a lot longer ago, but it was actually only like barely a year ago that you and I met. Yeah. It is just over a year ago that we, that we met the first time in November, like you said, but yeah, yeah, it's wild. I mean, things happen fast sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, who would have thought that, I mean, when we met, yeah, we obviously, as I said, we met in November, like briefly for like the day, but we really got to hang out in, I think it was March. Was it March or April? I can't remember. I think it was March. I think, uh, well, one one of the two months. Uh, like last year, as I said, we didn't have too much uh, work to do. So the whole winter, to be honest, the whole winter was quite nice from our perspective. Like from a personal, um, you know, mental well-being perspective and whatnot. From a financially financial perspective, it wasn't very nice. Of course, dogs, they need to eat every single day, uh, no matter if you get money in or whatnot. They, they, they don't care. They need food. Um, but it was fine for us anyway. We had enough to be able to not have to worry. So last year was honestly quite nice to be able to go out and drive dogs uh, by ourselves, do all the things that we like to do in winter and not have to work with guests in that same capacity it's nice to work with guests but we have dogs because we love dogs and we want to be out driving dogs not because we want to drive uh, guests and tourists with dogs it is sort of a a 
thing that comes along with it in the way that we want yeah, to do things. Yeah. yeah, no, it's 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 a weird one because like you said, and I think it was one of the things that I really got a sense of when, when we were recording that video was it was really fun to interview you guys and really get a sense of what your kind of like perspectives on these things were. And I think it was one of the main reasons why when the kind of the idea that we could record this podcast together came up that I like was really enthusiastic about it because we we had spent a little bit of time together before that, but it was really when I got to spend like four or five days with you guys sitting down at the dinner table, having interviews, talking, having dinner together, having beers or like, you know, whiskeys in the evening and stuff that you really get a sense of each other and like what kind of what your sort of uh, your lifestyle choices are that. Yeah, I think we really like kind of aligned in that way. And it was it was really nice to be able to have that time that maybe you wouldn't have been able to give or spend that much time together if you were super busy with guests last year. So, yeah, maybe it worked out for the best in the end, you know. Oh, 100 percent. I definitely think you're right on spot there because it's it is hard to have the time and energy, mostly energy time we might have if you if you look at time as just being hours of the day um but if you look at time of having the energy to put in the effort as well we would not necessarily have that if it is a busy period with working with guests because it is even if we do small number of tours we only do small groups one tour per day kind of thing um we still have other animals that need care every single day we still have a lot of other stuff that needs to get done every single day and chickens and goats and cats and of course you know there there are there are there are people that are doing it at a much larger scale and it is very impressive but the way we do it just the two of us we found it that it works perfect for us to still keep our mental well-being in check because that is super important for us as well like we could we could up the numbers of tours that we're doing but that would not necessarily maybe be good for us and our mental well-being and us wanting to keep doing this because we we need to do things with passion and it needs to in in in, in it needs to be allowed to do it with passion in the way that we want to do it hence the you know guidelines we sort of set up ourselves i i believe that that is i think when we created the the little mini documentary and stuff, I think I kind of closed with that sort of a very similar sort of statement from you at the end of that episode or at the end of the, the documentary. And one of the main reasons for that was, I think, I feel like that kind of encapsulates you guys. And I think it's, there's a spirit in that, in, in this, like, there's a, there's a whole culture nowadays of like this hustle culture um, of having side projects and you know there's even within the corporate world there's like there's almost like a fetishization or a romanticism around the amount of time or hours that you dedicate to like grind or hustle or and all this all these kind of buzzwords and it's almost like oh i'm addicted to coffee and i'm like i'm up at six and i'm working till 12 and blah 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 blah. and i think there's like this constant growth and this like that for some reason is like maybe it's a very maybe it's an americanized thing i don't see it as prevalent maybe in our kind of uh european or northern european kind of culture but definitely like 
social media in general or like uh, a lot of that kind of culture there's this huge emphasis on exponential growth of constantly trying to like hustle and make make more and do more and be more and all this kind of thing and what i really enjoy about what you guys do is that that isn't that isn't the goal the goal is to be yeah like what is like i mean you tell me like you you've said it to me many times and you're you're like much more articulate in the way in which that you kind of prescribe you know uh, describe your sort of ambitions or like long-term ambitions but every time i hear it it's it's just always so nice to hear it because it's it's a breath of fresh air to me at least and particularly for someone who is self-employed who has to constantly be thinking about where the next paycheck is coming from where the next client is coming from whether i i need to up my game whether i need to work harder whether i work need to work longer whether i need to enjoy the fact that i'm self-employed and reap the benefits of that which is having more quality time to spend with my girlfriend and you know things like that i mean that, that is you the the last thing you said there is sort of our main goal is to be able to spend time with the people we care about so each other and family and friends and have the time for our dogs and the animals and all the things that we like to do and for us work like we we and i, and I understand that we are doing this from a position of privilege in the the way we're being able to do things and that we're able to get by anyway even if it is a lot of hard work but it's not the the position that we're in it's not necessarily just by absolute dumb luck no you're not living like paycheck to paycheck no 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 not and and not, not even that we also have like a lot of other systems around us uh so we uh, we have a good safety net with you know, the reason why we wanted to live a little bit closer to Lulo, where we live, is so that we have access to good schools, good health care, and all of these things for our future of, of wanting to have a family and things like that. So there's all these micro or mega decisions, depending on how you look at it, that for us has led us to the position where we're in, where we're doing what we want to do and we found a way to be able to financially support our lifestyles through what we want to do and for us it is more important to financially support our lifestyle our family and our home more than it is to reach a certain goal financially in high numbers of course we have a goal financially like we're not we're not, we're not necessarily doing this out of just, you know, throwing a dart at a map and see where we land kind of thing. We're, we're, we're still trying to plan this all so that it does work out. And doing that for us, personally for us, it's worked out quite well that we are, we're not earning money every month of the year, but we're also off a few months every year. And if we play our cards right, then we've thought and planned ahead. Those months that we're off, we're going to be able to do exactly whatever we want. Which is a luxury in itself. And all of those things, like everyone has their unique position where they have to find the balance in these things. And, you know, no one can ever tell you the way we're doing it is the right or the wrong way because no one is in in our shoes and in our uh, 
and no one has our goals or we don't have someone else's goals and you know there's so many layers of things to take into consideration when choosing a life forward i guess for for not being too dramatic <laughs> for yourself uh so so it's it's yeah it's so it's it's, it's a super tricky uh, question and conversation but we're just trying to make sure that what we do we're happy with what we're doing and it's supporting our lifestyle and for us it happens to be driving dogs having dogs doing nature restoration in summer and them being able to do the whole homestead and being outside for the whole year it's sort of you know stars align hard work you can put it whatever uh was called whatever you can put that in whatever category as you want but it works for us right 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 yeah no and i think that's the main kind of crux of that isn't it it's like it works for us and i think uh i guess starting off this uh this podcast into the new year i guess we you know we're kind of grazing around uh kind of outdoor topics and stuff but i think the main thing i think a lot of people around this time of year um well i mean i can only speak for myself really but like it's different it varies from year to year sometimes i don't give a shit about it sometimes i am very sort of introverted in or in my sort of uh perspective or thinking about the the kind of the year ahead or the the year that just went by and i think a lot of stuff for me personally has happened a lot of changes have happened for me in the last i don't know maybe 18 months to two years wherein coming from living in ireland and then moving to sweden for a year and then meeting you guys last winter and then now being here in finland and like i've moved countries twice in the last 18 months which is exhausting but i think it's also really interesting that now looking forward in the new year uh with with you know current pandemic situations sort of aside it's really nice to kind of look ahead and say, okay, well, I'm pretty confident in that where I am now is where I see myself for the next sort of foreseeable future and, and, and actually starting, starting to build on something uh, in, in where I am now rather than kind of thinking about the next jump or the next leap or the next sort of uh, milestone or whatever. Um, and that's kind of a nice place to be personally. Um and I do see the ability to be able to kind of dedicate more time to this podcast, to you guys uh, listening, of course. Um, and, and yeah, just sort of finding a bit more of a flow. I'm hoping this year is going to be a bit more settled in a sense of being able to find a flow, like just a flow of content and, and creation and, and inspiration and things. And uh, it's something that I haven't, I've been, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong the last two years have been really exciting you know lots of energy around new things but it's also nice to have the ability to be able to kind of sit sit down in a sort of mindset and be like okay well this is this is where we go like you know this is where we're building from it's not it's not about um moving somewhere else or, or kind of looking towards where the next sort of destination is you know and I, and i'm kind of really happy for that um i'm really excited about this year i think we're gonna 
think we're gonna we, well maybe you and i in particular but just in general i think we're gonna do some pretty cool shit this year man for sure definitely i i definitely think so uh, i mean with with the whole conversation of feeling uh a little bit more settled like before before i started to work where uh, han and i met um i were was actually offered a job as a dive guide in Ten- eh, in Tenerife in Thailand so my options were going to Thailand work as a dive master or stay in so yeah stay staying in Sweden and uh, moving four hours north from where I grew up to work as a snowmobile guide and things like that where at the place where Hannah and, and I met uh, and that was very very nice and my thought process was basically that well hopefully thailand and everything will still be there and whatever the choice whatever choice i make nothing has to be forever and that's something that hannah says every now and then uh, is that you know nothing has to be forever just because we for our from our perspective for example we have the dogs we have the cats we have the goats we have the chickens we have the homestead and whatnot it doesn't necessarily mean and i guess it's more of a coping mechanism for us more than anything uh it might be true it might not be true but nothing just because you have all these things just because you've created a life around something doesn't mean that you have to get stuck in that forever so it could be a daunting feeling like whatever decision I make now, if I get this place or, and this is of course still speaking from a position of privilege in where we live and, and how we're doing things here. Um, a lot of people might not be able to think this way just because, yeah, exactly. Just because of, of their life or their background, whatever it might be. Uh, so I fully understand that, but from our perspective, nothing has to be set in stone forever and that is a fairly refreshing feeling uh, of having to know that i can put my full i can put my full attention and emphasis into everything that we're doing here not necessarily of course knowing that we could just give up one day and and move out we're not we're not that privileged we we just we have uh you don't have fuck you money a lot of options no 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 no, definitely not definitely not (laughs) but we have we have a lot of other options of of uh choosing different avenues for work in the area that we live in right uh but what i mean is like if you if you don't feel like that there there's anything holding you back whether it is that is too much of a daunting feeling like all right i'm gonna make this choice and it's gonna be forever that might hold you back to reach your full potential in whatever you're doing just as much as a fatalist attitude yes exactly just as much the app just as much as the absolute opposite might hold you back of you know i will only be able to do this one year then you might not do it because exactly then what's the point or the fatalist like idea like those two things whether whatever whatever so you're sort of i guess battling in 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 what your goals are for this year whether they're big or small nothing needs to last forever 
in that way. So if you go down one route, like everything will hopefully sort itself out. Knock on wood. I mean, one of the main reasons why I was able to make the decisions that I have made over the last maybe two years is 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 that kind of vibe or that sort of uh, mentality. And I think it's it's a lot easier said than done. I mean, like I know my dad in particular, like has has always been quite a risk averse sort of person and maybe that's like you know 90s 80s economy in ireland was terrible so if you had a job you were fucking happy to have the job and you know you weren't complaining you were just getting your shit done you were putting food on the table and whatever um and i think there's a whole generation of people in ireland and the uk to kind of have that mentality wherein if you've somehow managed to build something or have somehow managed to get yourself get yourself a well-paying job then you kind of shut up and just like get your shit done and i think because of that um i was also kind of taught to be very risk averse and when i was in college a lot of my friends were traveling they were you know uh, around southeast asia etc and i kind of was almost always terrified of the prospect of not having a job not having a steady income not having uh the ability to pay my rent and stuff and you know the this sort of it was almost a fatalist sort of mentality that I had and I think through practice and through small uh incremental steps towards achieving something that you wanted to like or, or sort of molding the lifestyle that you wanted that I wanted I'm speaking personally here um sort of started to make me realize that okay it's not black and white all the time you know there are ways around things you might in January be financially unstable, but February, March, and April might be okay if you're flexible enough, if you're able to, you know, whatever. I don't know. I mean, I suppose my point is that, like, just sort of to to reiterate what you're saying is that nothing has to be forever. It doesn't have to be, well, if I make this decision now, this is, like, going to define the rest of my life or the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> it's like, it doesn't always have to be that way. No, ex- exactly. I mean, it, it is a completely new culture with the generation that we're in of mentality towards towards work and flexible work. And that, of course, comes often, at least in my case, and it sounds like in your case, of uh, parents been able or parents been working very, very hard to provide that opportunity. Uh, so it is from that perspective, it is a huge privilege to be able to be like, not necessarily that you always have a super safe thing to fall back on, but just creating that mentality that anything is possible kind of thing. As long as you put your mind to it and work hard, whether that is staying at the job that you have or whether that is carving out your own destiny, if you will. Um, that is, that is, it is, quite quite i mean at least in in the industry that i'm in uh carving out your own destiny and taking risks is needed to make it work i mean you can't sell a product that you haven't especially if you're talking about uh, a lodge or a place where people stay if you don't have it you can't sell it and to have it you might have to invest you know 20 million swedish 2 million pounds or 2 million us dollars to get it well, as, then you as can I sell say, the you, product yeah if you build it they will come as they say yeah 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 so it is 
it's interesting. It's super interesting, but you have to have fun. In the end yeah. of the day, you have to have fun and be happy with what you do. Exactly, man. But it's it's really um, it's kind of nice to talk about this stuff. And I suppose again, like we were talking about, it's completely off topic in regards to what this podcast is normally about, which is like outdoors and, and bushcraft and stuff. But I think um, one of the things that I would like for us to be able to do this year with the podcast is to kind of expand out on some more general topics. And I think we can always frame uh, kind of topics around the perspective of the outdoors and bushcraft, because I think one of the things that I've noticed in the last kind of couple of years about, about what we do is that, you know, it's people doing a thing that they love and we've, we like encompasses a lot of different sort of mentalities and concepts and ideas like any industry really. And I think if we could frame these kind of bigger issues within the context of the outdoors, I think we could be, I think we're doing a good thing then. I think we're, we're, we're our, you know, privilege of voice and sort of the ability to be able to broadcast ourselves to the world is that we can affect change or affect or have sort of a, what would you call it? A stamp, I suppose, on the, on the industry. Have being being a part of the conversation, I would probably put it in that way. That I, it's it's, I don't know, like I don't know if I said it on the podcast or, uh, if it was just talking to you, off air, but, being part of the conversation, is really, nice for me, and it feels like a privilege because you know, like I I I I feel quite shelter is not the wrong uh. Uh, it's not the right word. It's more that I feel like we up here, we're so far away from the social circles of, uh, if we, if we just simplify it to the bushcraft scene, for example, we're so far away from the social circles of that social circles because it is not easy to necessarily travel to any um symposiums or gatherings or whatever it might be it's not just like a weekend drive somewhere so being for me being able to be part of the conversation even if i might not have anything to uh, add or give to it it is just a fun way for me to feel like i'm i'm uh, part of something that i don't have access to on a day to day or weekend to weekend or week to week or even a year to year basis based on where we're living so the medium that we're discuss discussing all of these things and whether it's high or low or super detailed into something within the term an umbrella of bushcraft or it is something about leadership or something super random that someone might have some uh being able to take away some some nuggets from that's just very cool for me personally it's really cool and i think what you're talking about there that conversation i remember exactly we were driving back from it might have been the weekend after we recorded the the, the video that i'm kind of was referencing earlier 
Yeah. Um, that long drive between. We're uh, going up to more trail. Yes. Yeah. Where, I, where I was living and you were kind of mentioning that. And I think maybe not two or three days after that, you kind of proposed the idea of doing this together. Um, and uh, yeah, you're right. And I think um, it kind of leads me on a little bit to what I wanted to talk about next, which is the course that we're running in, what is it, ten, eight to 10 weeks from now? Um, which is which uh, is it? yeah something like yeah, that yeah and, and and it's cool because it, like that is putting into action exactly the concepts that we're talking about here which is um being part not just being part of the conversation but like having a having a uh, a sway or not not even a sway i don't know what it is i mean it, i mean how often have you been in a subculture or a uh, or found an interest in a particular sort of uh, hobby or something or other. I don't know how often you have done it, Jeremias, but for myself, um, I've been involved in a couple of different sort of hobbies or subcultures where like one being like, let's say metal, for example, or like heavy metal uh, playing in bands um, growing up from the age of 15 onwards. And it's actually something that I kind of wanted to kind of brush on later on in, in the conversation, but uh, from about 15 onwards like playing playing guitar and like getting good enough to be um to play in bands and then playing in bands in your local town and then moving back to dublin and then playing in the capital city of a country and then all of a sudden you become actually part of the fabric of the the culture itself and I, I suppose that comes down to hard work and, and practice and stuff and then ultimately talent and then you end up playing in bands and I'm just speaking about music here in, in particular like you end up playing in bands that are actually like kind of building the fabric or defining the shape of a particular scene in a particular place at a particular time um, and that comes from being interested in a particular yeah, hobby or subculture whatever it is to and then there's this weird defining moment and i think it happens gradually you don't really notice it at the time but when you think about it in retrospect you become part of the the conversation part of the narrative as you had said there recently um and i think uh that's that's a really cool thing to do and and then like to come back to the course that we're talking about now like we you and i had talked about building this kind of arctic experience course that we're working on now that like is sold out as far as i am aware for the first kind of uh yeah it's very cool yeah yeah and and but but like the people that are coming to this um to the first round of this kind of uh course that we're running um are some of the people that i really look up to like uh jamie dakota for example who runs hell bushcraft in the uk like he's coming along on it and there's like a bunch of other people journeyman hand handcrafts and and kira nugent from uh, ireland and stuff and for me it's starting to feel like it's a bit of a symposium in and of itself like i i feel like we could probably have some really interesting conversations apart from the sort of course curriculum sort of thing and i say that in inverted commas but like the, the wider picture of like us putting on something um that kind of opens up the the floor to really interesting conversations with people that are very influential within sort of a culture or a subculture and i for me that is i couldn't imagine i i mean yeah i just feel so privileged to be in such a 
in in like I feel like it's like somewhat of an inner circle or some sort of circle within sort of the outdoor space. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun with the course, and we we've said it before, uh, or at least I've thought it that for me the course is not necessarily this idea of putting myself as any sort of expert whatsoever because i i'm i'm not in 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 a position of taking that role at all what i want to do is to share the experience that i have here from my perspective and what i've learned so far and give people an experience to maybe try out things and concepts that they've done for example in the uk or in ireland or wherever it might be to put them into practice here and of course there are uh, things that we'll explore more in detail but it is more about creating this environment of conversation and sharing and yeah just 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 having having fun experiencing it together and hopefully learn from each other more than any one of us gonna stand there and with you know with a big pokey stick and say like this is exactly how it has to be done and that's that's the only way to do it so for me for me it is for for me it is a lot more like i'm i'm looking forward to the people that are coming and seeing like man there's so much i could learn from these people um, that are coming that they might not realize it but i'm i'm looking forward to learning from them more than i'm maybe looking forward to share the stuff that i know yeah no no i understand but i think you do have a fuck ton to share and a fuck ton of knowledge to impart uh just in the small amount of time that i've known you i've learned a huge amount from you so i can only imagine you in work mode just being like okay this is how this works that's how that works i know for a fact that people are going to learn a shit ton from you um but you're right in the sense that like coming from like, let's say someone who practices bushcraft in the UK, for example, like tree species and uh, clothing choices, and you know, all of these things are, are going to be completely different. So absolutely, everybody can learn and take from each other uh, within these sort of um, experiences. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And I want and I really, really, really want it to be this open thing where if someone has another idea like i i know for a fact that stuff that i might do or stuff that i've been taught are not the only way to do something so just because i'm doing it one way doesn't mean that that is the way uh there's you know a million ways to skin a cat so that's what i mean with it i want it to be more of a open conversation or almost like a, a gathering or symposium or whatever whatever the terminology is more than it is a course of like this is how you do it you know because that like in in and any any anyone that spends a lot of time outside a lot knows that there is no way just like when we talk with with my former teacher eric like people often want to have these checklist mentalities but when you're in nature there are so many things when you're in the mountains or in the forest there's so many things that you're not necessarily able to foresee and put into these checklists that they are universally applicable to every single thing that you're doing 
So just because I know one thing does not mean that it does not work for in a different way for someone else or that someone else has a better way to do it. It's so it 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 is it I'm really looking forward to seeing what experiences and ideas and everyone else brings along as well. I can't wait, man. It's gonna be so fun. I, I haven't met Jamie yet and I haven't met Journeyman either. Um Kieran is a good friend of mine. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be divulging people's names that are coming to course, but they're going to be in the pictures and stuff that we're putting up anyway. Um, but I'm just really excited to share some, well, not dirt time, but snow time uh, with some people that a, a, I've been really looking forward to meeting and B, that I have spent a lot of time with already that I'm really uh, looking forward to having a completely different environment to to kind of have fun with them. Uh, in so it's going to be great and again thank you everybody who has uh, signed up for the course it's going to be so much fun and due to the fact that it's it sold out so goddamn fast i'm pretty sure Jeremy, is that we have scope for maybe a second date this month if or this year if not uh, you know open it up for maybe two or three next year or maybe late in the year when the snow comes back again in like november december something like that yeah with this november december might be might be tricky you might have a uk winter or you might have a real winter mm. oh yeah that's um, true the snow real winter yeah. i do that within parentheses <laughs> like when 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 i grew up we had basically winter from end of october onwards right. now right. we're lucky if we get good enough snow to drive dogs on trails in um, early to mid-December. So it's pushed in three decades. It's pushed a couple of months. But that's a different topic. No, that's... Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Let's not get into that. But uh, I wanted to ask you as well, because we've got about... I'd say we've been talking for about 40 minutes or so. Um, I do have an interview to share with uh, with everybody here. Um, It was an interview I did back in... believe november um here in rovanami or up in the north of finland um where i spent a bit of time with yol a friend of mine who works with uh, martini the knife company and um bear hill which are a another dog sledding company on a much more uh, on a much larger scale sort of uh business-wise speaking than perhaps maybe uh Yermes and hannah are running um bear hill are much more sort of i guess uh oh, i don't want to use the word industrial because it sounds a bit, a bit weird but much larger scale um but i did an interview with them I, we spent a bit of time up there in november uh really cool people uh re- running a really tight operation up there so i have an interview to share with you guys and um, which is coming up in the next sort of 15 20 minutes but before uh we wrap this up Jeremy, is because it's been really nice to catch up and talk to you again um what are you what are you thinking about for the next sort of uh couple of months is there have you got any new year's resolutions are you going to talk are you going to think about anything maybe for the company or maybe personal sort of goals uh for your outdoor kind of pursuits or anything like that i mean i'm i'm quite boring in that way that i don't necessarily make new year's resolutions there's always there's always things that well you live and breathe it every day man you're you're (laughs) You're I mean, that, that, shit every day anyway. That, that, you know, we don't. I don't need to be. Yeah, that's not uh, like. I get the the definition of cool shit is different for 
you and me <laughs> because they, <laughs> no, they it's not. what 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 I what I what I think is cool is I love what I do. I think it's very cool. But there's a lot of stuff that I don't do that I think is very very cool as well. Um so I I guess it's all about perspective. But yeah, I'm I'm quite boring so I don't necessarily make new year's resolution in that way, but there's always things that I want to get better at or want to try and want to you know learn more about and all of these things and it they're not they're not ba- they're not dependent on the year they're dependent on the season right right, right so right. for some reason and I'm, I'm probably not alone every time winter comes around i get these ideas of like oh man i'm really looking forward to be able to do this this spring or this spring winter or summer or early fall or late fall like i get this every time the other se- the, the next season starts i look forward in one way or another to see to to the one ahead and what the opportunities that that gives me so like this this i know like i've i've had this idea that this summer i really want to get better at um edible plants and uh, mushrooms and things like that i've sort of started to dabble a little bit more in in uh, mushrooms and uh, we do have some solid ones that are fairly easy to recognize here and we have a lot of dried one of them in the basement but it's still there's an there's enough of them that i do not know that i don't feel comfortable picking as different types of certain types of mushrooms uh but then again, like it is always this, it is always this balance of, for me at least, of how much do I want to spend time in learning everything in one subject, if I can become a generalist in all things foraging. So you know, you have you have so many specialists in the world now. Oh, you have specialists in foraging for mushrooms. You have specialists in foraging for berries but it's hard to find generalists and it's not necessarily something that that i strive for but it's just i don't necessarily have the patience to learn 200 different types of mushrooms and only 10 of them are edible and they're latin names i want to know the 10 yeah and then and yeah yeah and, and like all props to everyone who does that but for me and my outdoor living and outdoor sort of pursuit i need to sort of dumb it down a little bit for me myself for maybe to use the common name to maybe simplify it of like this mushroom is edible and it tastes a little bit like this and this is the characteristic and this mushroom that looks like this don't know what it's what what its name is but i'm not gonna pick it and i'm not gonna eat it if it's edible if I have someone that teach teaches me how to you know cook it and prepare it and whatnot, fine. But it's nothing that I'm gonna spend a lot of time searching. Then I might spend a lot of time figuring out some other edible plants instead. So I'm I'm my my goal is often narrowing it down to maybe edible stuff rather than everything. So that's what's my goal for this summer and spring gonna be. 
What about you? Maybe this is faux pas or maybe not, but I think there's also a lot to be said about having um, your own names for things um, if it helps with sort of uh, your memory recall or your ability to um, be able to, to, to recognize something based on your own. Like one of the perfect example um, for me is something that I've been thinking about is I've been doing a lot of blog posts for Martini uh, the knife company, uh, as I mentioned before, I've kind of worked a little bit with them. And one of the the articles I'm working on at the moment is different knife grips. Um, and one of them that I don't I don't know what the name of it is, but I call it like a, like the potato peeler. Um, and it's like it's a spoon carving technique wherein you you like use the knife in almost like a kind of a peeling way as if you were peeling a potato, but obviously you move your thumb out of the way. So your thumb doesn't meet the blade the way like a potato peeler would if you were peeling, but I don't know what the real name for that like particular technique is. Um, and I'm kind of just calling it the potato peeler in the, in the blog post. And it's like, um, am I, is that like bad practice by like not using the proper name for it or the proper term for it? But for me, like, using that terminology um it's easy for me to remember what it how it works but then also i think people understand what what uh a potato like how what it looks like to peel a potato or what way you're supposed to hold your hand and the object the object being the potato um with that sort of particular movement so um sometimes learning like to take it's almost like taking shortcuts in a way um and it's like you're saying like you don't have to learn every single sort of uh, particular mushroom and all the Latin names. You just need to like have your own parameters within which that makes sense to you, which makes sense to you, which makes it fun for you. Um, and I think that's okay to like not have to be extremely stringent about learning it in sort of a classical way or sort of a, you know, a traditional sort of um curriculum sort of mindset i mean yeah for sense. sure there's a there's a lot to be said about the people that put in the effort of learning the latin names and everything and it's extremely impressive um but i guess i guess my 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 thought is always that it it does you you, you don't have to do that if if you if you if you're not aspiring to teach that specific subject about edible plants, if we use that or fungus, for example, for you to be able to go out and pick pick mushrooms that are safe and edible and really really simple to find in the area that I live in, at least I don't know about anyone else's area, would probably be completely, you know, off if I would go somewhere else than where I live. Um, where I live, I know what the common name is. I would have to Google the Latin name, but I know what the common name is. I know what traits and what it, what to look for and where they should be and, you know, all of these things. Right, right, right. But at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily try and teach that because there are Mm. experts in the field that do know exactly what they're talking about when it comes to that. And most people in the outdoors, if they don't have that ambition to be the expert in the field, make up your own rhymes, make up your own whatever, make up your own 
like draw draw a stick man if that helps you to remember where x marks the spot kind of thing like do what you need to do and you don't necessarily have to always do everything in a very academical way because that could be a bit daunting sometimes as well even if it is important and it's for for some people it's impressive there's just as in general there's a lot of different ways to approach the subject of nature and bushcraft and whatnot and uh, just because one person is doing it in one way does not mean that you have to follow suit and do it in the same way no exactly and you have like the likes of paul curtley of ray mears of you know people that are extremely adept in in like the sort of the the classical sort of style of training wherein they they understand the the latin names and and actually learning the the latin names can be visual aid because a lot of the the terminology that's used it, it almost describes the 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 mushroom itself and and like certain families like that will will have certain characteristics and will have this, a similar name and all this kind of thing and there's a lot of there's a lot of um advantages to learning the latin names beyond For just sure. me, beyond just memory it's actually like uh, a form of identification in and of itself but yeah like you said it's like rhymes and and visual aids and everybody learns in in different ways and i think don't be so hard on yourself if something makes it easier for you to like pick up a piece of information be that something as dense as wild edibles uh, a topic as dense as that um you know anything that you can use to your advantage uh utilize that you know don't 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 think that oh well this isn't the way that it's supposed to be learned if it works for you, it works for you, as they say. As you said, it's, there's many ways to skin a cat. And I mean, there's there's so many in this older generation that are successful moose hunters, for example, or successful foragers for berries every year where they are stocking up their uh, root cellars with jam and juice and whatnot and you know, sourcing their own meat from the land of moose and capercaillie and grouse and deer all of these things but if you would ask them what their latin name was yeah good luck. they would be like i don't know i could tell you exactly where they live in this area and how they move in this area that i've been living in for generations or for decades and that's that knowledge is just as valuable as knowing the latin name so it's all about context it's always all about context uh, to where you are in your journey i guess yeah totally and i, and I think uh you you kind of asked me there about like what what i was thinking about going forward in the year and i think in some ways it's almost the opposite of your sort of perspective wherein i'm thinking about going back and relearning some of the very basics that i probably glossed over um that I'm trying to kind of round like I was thinking about like one of the things that kind of sparked this was like uh, again I was talking about like playing guitar and metal and stuff earlier on and it's actually kind of cropped up again for me in a large way because when I was at home in Ireland over the Christmas my uncle uh, very kindly gifted me one of his guitars Um, it was a complete surprise to me we were over in their house and you know he's got all these beautiful guitars and i had kind of mentioned in passing that i hadn't played guitar nor had i owned a guitar in in maybe the last three or four years and he's just like oh dude just fucking you know take here have this beautiful 
you know telecaster and i was like no no i cannot do that and he's like honestly take it um so i came home back to finland with this beautiful guitar with a with an invigorate a reinvigoration of like the the passion for playing music and playing guitar which i had i've had since the age of maybe 15 or 16 years old and um i was like you know like anything when you start a new passion or a new hobby or a new career you you like you're like trying to like gain as much information as possible in, in the shortest time possible because you've got this sort of energy and vigor for things and you kind of in a lot of ways you kind of glaze over this the minor details because you want to see the bigger picture and you want to kind of up your game and all this kind of thing and i think over the course of maybe from the age of 15 to 25 so maybe 10 years of solid just playing guitar almost every day um i went into this kind of mode and then i went learned this stuff and then i kind of like progress into other stuff and and it's now being like a 32 year old with a, with a guitar again kind of going back and looking at some of the almost relearning in a, in a lot of ways um but relearning the stuff that i started on with 10 years plus of experience with the instrument and like stuff that seemed really complicated and hard to understand back in the day is actually making much more sense to me now um and it's actually much easier for me to comprehend so i was thinking about that in sort of the outdoors and bushcraft and the kind of outdoor knowledge where it's like well what is what have i what did i gloss over at the beginning of sort of my discovery of bushcraft and sort of this sort of a drive for getting the bigger picture what did i lose a bit of the nuance in like the finer details of things um and i think i'm gonna try and use this year as an opportunity to go back and maybe sort of look at some of the basics and maybe try and look at some of the things that felt difficult or complicated or maybe it's navigation maybe it's plant identification maybe it's you know i'm thinking about a lot of the tristan gooley books for example which are super dense and packed with content and when i like some of the first books i ever read with an interest in the outdoors were those books and they just seemed so dense at the time maybe now they will make a little bit more sense to me with you know uh five six years of sort of outdoor experience under my belt um so that's kind of my goal for the next year is to kind of go back and look at um yeah just go back and look at some of the basic stuff that at at the very beginning was super dense but maybe it makes more sense now and i think yeah it could be you know it's just the best as as good a place to start as any i think uh, that sounds very nice like i there's this one i have no idea where it comes from you might know or one of the listeners might know the origin of it um but it's something that i really do like there's some it goes something along the lines of uh, advanced skills is just basics mastered or something like that yeah like there's, yeah there's, exactly you know, exactly there, 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 there is this i love that i guess from so from cool. my perspective and purely from my perspective only there is a difference in learning a lot of different skills a lot of different techniques maybe is the more correct word to use there's a difference in learning a lot of different techniques and 
the techniques you might need when you're out and doing things or out on a trip. Like I think it is um, Tim Smith of Jack Mountain Bushcraft. Uh, he says that in his podcast every now and then. And uh, in his blog that he writes that, you know, on expeditions, you'll very quickly learn what skills are purely just techniques. Something along those lines. That, that I'm, I'm not paraphrasing correctly, but just the idea of like how little... Um, techniques i guess this is my take on it at least you don't need necessarily a lot of different techniques to know how to do x y and c you need good solid foundation and a mindset that can adapt to the circumstance and situation that you're in rather than knowing i'm just gonna like 150 different knots maybe it is five that you're actually gonna be fine with so there's a difference in in um in techniques and applied skills i guess so that's very nice to going back to basics and and figuring out what what is basics to me and in my wilderness or wilderness in my forest um, living and the stuff that i like to do because the basics you have is is different basics the basics you need is different basics than what i need because i'm often dog bound and you're not necessarily dog bound in the same way. I sure, need to know different even... knots and things like that, as in my basics. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, I even remember showing Hannah a knot that I learned, and like yeah. Hannah, who is like super, super experienced in what she does, uh, she was like, "Hey, what was that knot that you were using for your that you were talking about for your tarp?" And it actually ended up being really useful for the dogs, and, yeah, and yeah, just yeah. like reapplying a very and I, I can't even i think it was just like a double overhand it was something like super simple no, it was, it was to, to, to stretch out the line for when we use it on stakeout oh yeah yeah that's just to get, get a yeah. super 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 stretched line taut taut line yes yes something like that so it was the yeah and it was actually a knot that i learned from uh ray mears out on the land um nice and it was applicable to the the dogs, yeah. So I mean, again, like the most basic of basics. I mean, that out on the land book, um, which it's is one of my one. favorite bushcraft. It's a beautiful book. Uh, yeah, Raymer's la- uh, not his last book. His last book was We Are Nature, but his last sort of instructional book, the one that he did with uh, Lars Felt. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would be to a lot of people considered like a bushcraft's basics, but there's a lot to be said about going back and like reading scrolling through those pages again stuff that maybe on the first pass you might have glanced over less experienced didn't feel important i mean there's a whole chapter for example on travel on the snow and there's there's a whole chapter on um uh, uh snowmobiles for example or uh, at least a whole section which to me when i got the book i lived in ireland when the book came out it was completely irrelevant to me. I didn't care about snowmobiles. I had literally no interest in snowmobiles. Didn't care how they worked. Never needed to know how they performed. Didn't know how to fix a belt. Nothing. And then all of a sudden, you spend a couple of months up in the Arctic, and then snowmobiles are a very important topic to you. And you can go back and look through a book that 
on the surface did like that chapter didn't seem important or relevant to the point where it's like oh shit yes this all makes sense now i totally understand what this chapter is about now because i've experienced that and i've been through that and i know what he's talking about now and i think uh i would guarantee you anybody listening to this podcast there are books on your shelf that will make more sense to you now as a more experienced outdoors person than when you bought them and i think now is probably the time if any to go ahead and try and uh, re-digest some of that material. That's that's a great way to to put it. My takeaway from this uh, is that basics is not a universal thing, and this is my own thought process from what our discussion right now. Basics up in my region, based on what I want to do and achieve when I'm outdoors whether it's foraging or hunting or driving dogs or winter trips or whatnot those basics are not necessarily the same as someone living south of the equator or even in central europe or even in ireland those basics like you you can of course pull it you can you can you can pull it how far back as you want and you might find correlation within the basics but the techniques within the basics are going to be based on the region you're in your goals for the outings and you know what you what you like to do really because there there's like there is not necessarily a step one step two step three thing to go about the outdoors because it's always based on what you want to do but maybe i'm wrong i'm happy if uh if uh, anyone uh, that is uh, listening that wants wants to uh uh comment on that because it's i find these conversations to be super super interesting because it is so different like when i read when i read books it's basically out on the land and and morse morse kohansky's bushcraft book that are the Mm -hmm. only ones that are applicable to the region Mm -hmm. that i actually live in out on the land is right 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 that are written in english anyway yeah but yeah exactly um everything else is sort of based on I, 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 I can't really put it because I don't know that area that those books are based on. Of course, there are certain things like Paul Kirtley's book with axe skills. Like That's a very specific technique of, of working with an axe that is applicable here, but a lot of other survival books and things like that, it's not... Yeah, basics are based on where you are, I guess. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I think uh, there'll be just kind of slightly off topic of what we're talking about now, but I think there could be a really interesting uh, episode in and of itself, just of uh, books, just of different books, because books are a huge part of everything I do. Um, and I think that could be a really interesting topic. Like, cause you, there's a couple of, you have a beautiful uh, library in your house. Like when, just for the people that are listening, when, when I was in Jeremias's house, like just sitting on the couch with the, with uh moscow i think it was your dog is looking at like this huge range of outdoor books and half of them are in swedish um inaccessible to house common folk down in our our, these english-speaking folk uh and i think it would be really cool to kind of look at some of those books and maybe try and divulge some of the information maybe and and uh see there's some not there's so much knowledge in those books like and they're written they're written by like you know really old dudes <laughs> you know, it's just like really old guys who know a lot of shit 
Yeah, no, it's it's different perspectives. You uh, you're only doing wrong if you're absolutely injuring injuring yourself. If you are in the risk of injuring yourself or others or die, everything else is sort of very. Um, this is very loosely now, of course. Everything else is sort of a learning experience, and you getting by, and that's okay too. Yeah, but uh, but dude, I mean, honestly, that's like what a really cool way to start the year um podcast wise uh yeah weird conversations to, i mean yeah that's fun yeah always fun to have a conversation with you though like we i don't think there's ever a dull moment between you and i i, I don't know maybe everybody else is bored of our <laughs> conversations but personally speaking man i i have never had a boring conversation with you no and, the same. Uh, long may that continue and happy new year to everybody sure. else that's listening um i'm gonna end this episode now with uh, as i mentioned earlier the interview i did back in november with um the guys up in bear hill um they are a husky tour company uh based up here in finland really interesting much much bigger scale kind of uh thing that uh maybe your mace is running a uh, totally different vibe uh, but also just just a really interesting perspective on kind of the business side of things so uh, if you're interested stick around and listen to that interview um but in the meantime uh Yermias, thanks again so much for sharing this with me and uh yeah we'll we'll talk soon i hope yeah for sure we'll talk soon the uh one little side note on the bear hill husky gang there yes. they have a fantastic instagram where you can learn a lot about the dogs that they have but also dogs in general they have really cool philosophies and good content to provide on top of everything so i highly recommend checking that out even their like reels and and uh, just videos and things like that in general are fantastic they do a lot of good stuff there yeah absolutely they're um uh, they're uh, quite educational in their approach to things as well and for sure they're uh, yeah 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 for sure but um yeah so Yermias, thanks so much and uh, have a great weekend and i'll talk to you soon you too bye all right Valo, thank you so much for uh taking the time to talk to me here we're up in rovena what's i, can't, I never pronounce the name we're actually in sineta which is about 20 k's north of Rovaniemi. Okay. Cool. And uh, Rovaniemi is the capital of Lap- Finnish Lapland and, of course, the hometown of Santa Claus, which everyone knows. Yes. Yeah, I was talking to uh, my my girlfriend's sister. I told her I was coming up here. She's like, oh, yeah, I went up there to see Santa when I was a kid. So it's probably most known for being the North Pole, so to speak. Or where, where yeah, not exactly the North Pole, but it is where we're on the Arctic Circle. Yeah. And Finland or Rovaniemi has managed to profile itself already for years and years and years as the hometown of Santa yeah. to the point that they're now officially, uh, it's a trademark thing, Majiggy or whatnot, but they're the official hometown of Santa Claus. Yeah. So North Pole in Alaska, I'm sorry for them, but um, <laughs> the real one's over here. Okay, cool. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit about Bear Hill Husky? Because obviously I'm, I've had a little bit of experience in um, Swedish Lapland uh, with the guys in Northern Soul Journeys much smaller scale kind of family run whereas what i see here my impressions of it is that it's it's a bit more of a uh how would you describe well how would you describe it um i would say it's slightly more professional but not as in the others are amateurish more as in you know we've decided that this is going to be a professionally run by 
you know, it's, you know, you've got professionalism paid to do the job. Right. That's what I mean. You right. know, um, we know what we're doing. We know how to do it. Uh, we need to, we're being, as a business, because we're also a business and next to a kennel, we're being held to certain standards and we've just decided to be better than everyone else. Yeah. Um, so, well, not better than everyone else, but that sounds kind of, uh, well, you call it prideful and <laughs> boastful. But anyway, we set out to do a good job, yeah. a professional job. Right. And um, Bear Hill, as a, we've been doing this since 2003. So I've been working with dogs for 20 years already, but so, uh, together with Veronica, my wife, we've done this for 2003, we started the company. Mm -hmm. And we decided that I'd worked as a guide doing longer tours for one of the older kennels in Lapland, and she had studied um, marketing, tourism marketing, Bachelor of Science thing in uh, Samonlin. And we were hiking in a place called Lieksa in Runa, and we'd already had this idea, let's start something. And I had somehow convinced her that it was a good idea to start a dog sledding company. <laughs> Little did she know she knew what she was getting into. Right, right. Um, but anyway, uh, we we had checked out certain places, and we eventually we were in Lieksa, and we'd made a habit of looking at all the, the real estate agents when we walked past to see what was up for sale. And there was this one little place which said, like, a uh, really quiet spot, 15 hectares of land, far away, reasonable price. So we checked it out and we decided, hey, this is this sounds cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd worked in Lapland a lot and I decided that, you know, we were green. We were green as could be. I'd, I'd learned from some really good uh, guides how to do things and what to do. But, of course, running the business part was absolutely new to us. Right. So I'd, we made a fundamental error in that we thought, well, Leax is a cool place because we don't have the same problems we have in Lapland with the reindeer herders and trails and, you know, access to areas that you have in the south or in the north. The south, no no reindeer, a lot mm -hmm. easier to get the trail permissions, which was true because when we showed up there in this little village, we bought this house, they were literally like, oh, we're so happy that there is someone actually come to live here and, you know, just please use our land, go where you want. You know, we'll, we'll set it up. So they were very proactive in helping us. What we didn't realize was that there is no winter tourism in that area of Finland. Oh, okay. You know, my, my strategic blunder was thinking winter tourism in Finland is winter tourism in Lapland, or that Lapland is in Finland, but right. it's not. It's very much only in Lapland. So we set up our business, and then we realized that actually no one really wants to come to this area, okay. or not in the numbers that we were thinking was going to happen. So it meant that from right in the beginning of the business, we needed to go out and get people. You know, we couldn't wait for them to, you know, Continue. footfall. There wasn't any footfall. So we needed to go out and find people. And we decided that we we're going to give a very, um, because we're in the middle of nowhere, we're going to give people this kind of stay at the homestead kind of feeling, live with the dogs. And uh, we went out for five day trips. Very often it would be a day trip and then four days from cabin to cabin traveling okay. around the area. Oh, nice. Uh, Veronica would stay out and do the cooking. The people would live in the guest room. The two bunk beds in there, so very often four strangers in there. Um, we had no shower in the first couple of years, so it was just washing in the sauna kind okay. of idea. Yeah. It was, you know, and heating on the stove and cooking it's on authentic. the wood stove. <laughs> it was pretty authentic. So, uh, you know, cut the firewood on our own land, yeah. heat our house with that firewood. So we did that for a while. It was really um, pretty good, but it was never really financially viable. Right. Um, 
we got our money in summertime we still needed to work with other, doing other things and then eventually we got some gigs that we were invited to go north with the dogs during December to work with subcontractors for the bigger kennels in the north okay. up in Robin Yemi and uh, we were also making some offers on some small December gigs for the big tour um, Canterbury travel and this kind of things right. British tour operators we were back in the day Billy Pohilla was still a um, government-owned organization doing tourism and we were making offers to them so we got these so every December we'd move up north with our dogs working the year and then we'd on our way south stop in Sotkamo where there was a little Russian season happening which okay. is usually just after Christmas to say no 14th 10th 14th of January so we'd stop in the Sotkamo area cutting Kulta. Yeah. where are you living like where are you living if you were moving up here every winter uh, we were um, living in Lieksa. Okay. So Lieksa is, uh, we're actually right next door to Puffinsville National Park. Okay. Um, that was 40 k's out from town. The nearest neighbor was like 5 k's away, the one direction. The other direction, you'd have to travel like 35, 40 kilometers okay. before you hit the next house. Right. So it was, it was remote. But um, we were traveling north to do this December gigs, coming back, doing our three or four months of long tours, working in summertime in Lieksa, being a rafting guide. Eventually, my daughter was born, and uh, we got a job. Back in the time, it sounded crazy. A friend of mine went and said, you know, I've got this idea. Let's set up an ice, indoor ice bar in Helsinki okay. <laughs> and offer rides and have the Huskies there and offer rides to tourists. Indoors. Indoors, okay. because there's this indoor skiing hall uh-huh. in um, the within the Ring 3 of Helsinki. Okay. So... He had asked a few people and they'd all said, you're crazy. They asked me and I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And because uh, we already then, that was already 2010 that was. Mm. We'd already figured out that, hey, we need to do something more to be able to get what, the money that we needed. But anyway, my daughter was born. I was working in the summers in Helsinki. Um, my wife alone in the middle of nowhere with the, the remaining dogs and my daughter traveling up and down to daycare and her own jobs. And That's that a hell of a lot of work. It, I'm still amazed that she managed that long, but eventually it just got too much. Yeah, I can imagine. And we decided that we moved north yeah. to Romaniemi. There's better schools, there's better facilities. And we're, it's kind of sad. You know, it was a sad moment. We decided to stop doing these longer trips. Okay. Because... It was not financially viable, and up in the north here, uh, it's just very difficult to organize these trips because of the trails. Yeah. So the day tours, the, the smaller trips for the tourists, just suited the family mm-hmm. and the finances mm-hmm. better at that time. Yeah. Now, we, were, we worked here, we were in, um, working as a subcontractor for one of the bigger kennels, and um, that went w- good until about 2013. We had a, a bad divorce with that company. Okay. Ended up on the, literally on the street with a few months to the season to go. And we managed to find a kind of temporary kennel. And freed from the burden and the chains of being a subcontractor, we decided that, well, we're going to do the Husky tours or the sled dog tours the way we want to do them, not how the boss says. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to be the best there is. Right. So if we're, if we're going to do it, we're not going to do it half. We're just going to... Yeah, we're gonna go straight for the top. Yeah, so 2013 we set ourselves a goal that we're just gonna become the best sled dog kennel in Robin Yemi and probably in Finland if we can. You know, aim high, hope you get halfway sure. kind of, of idea. Of course, of course. So 
um, we set out to do that from a business point of view. So we're talking about you know running sled dog tours. I'm talking about sled dog racing or beating my peers at a thing or breeding better dogs or whatever. But just from running an efficient, profitable, ethical, nice business. Mm -hmm. So we set out to do that, and it can, it's worked. I think in the, since 2013, we're what eight years later now. Um, we are now. At least in Rovaniemi, yeah, we were recognized as being the, the premier sled dog kennel mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. There's bigger ones, there's older ones, there is more probably commercially successful ones. But when they kind of people think about sled dogs in mm -hmm. Rovaniemi yeah, in the meantime, very often mm -hmm. we're kind of at the top of the list of where to go. What would, what would be your, your measure of success then? If it's, not, if it's not about the financial gain or is it... It's just that are we viable and... How do you say? Can you... Can this business provide to the dogs and the people who work there? That's success. Right. Because um, I told you earlier as well, I just tipped on that. Th this business is the financial and legal home of our dogs. Right. The dogs are stakeholders in this. The business is, it's a, it's a limited company, so Veronica and I are shareholders. But the dogs are stakeholders, same as our employees are stakeholders. Um, this business exists for them as well. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist for my profit, for my benefit. It's for everyone's benefit. So we try and keep in mind that, you know, when we do things, the dogs also are part of what we decide. And it's got to benefit them as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's got to work to the employee's advantage as well. So we try and build up long-term re relationships with the employees. We might not be able to pay the top salaries, but we do kind of try and make sure that we have healthcare included and there is, you know, certain perks and bonuses which come with long-term employment that's, because that's what we're looking for in the end. And uh, just this morning I was actually having a little conversation with my wife and said, okay, we've got this, you know, the dog sledding part kind of nailed down. So why not become, you know, now start focused on sustainability, mm -hmm. um, ethical things, and if we're going to do that, let's just become the most sustainable business in Finland right. or in Lapland. Right. Again, aim high. Yeah. We're not right. going to go anywhere. If you're going to do it, yeah. go all in. Yeah. You know, don't yeah. sort of like you know dip your toes in and go, hey, that's nice. Sure. We're going to go all in. Sure. So we might. One of the the downsides of Corona is that everything's kind of like burnt down to the ground. The good side of Corona is everything is kind of burnt down to the ground. You got to build it up again. And you might Reinvent as well start, and, yeah. start doing something new. Yeah. And we might have some hires come, you know, if we're talking about hiring people, we'll be taking this into account. Can mm -hmm. they help us mm -hmm. get greener, more sustainable, this kind of thing. Okay. So that's where we are trying to take now. And just, you know, if we're talking about successes when it's working, you know, it's kind of like moving. It doesn't have to, you know, you've got the bills paid. There's a bit of money left at the end of it. The dogs are happy, they're healthy. The old ones are finding homes. The people know who you are. There's just so many little metrics and so sure. many little boxes that you yeah. can tip. It's not just, are we profitable? Yeah. You know, are the guides happy to stay? Are the people coming back? Are, you know, there's so many little things that make yeah. up a good running business. Than Absolutely. Just yeah. more than just, you know, are we making money? Yeah, for sure. And I think the... It's a very it seems to be a super professional type operation you're running here. Everything from the the building that we're sitting in right now, which you, you said literally is like you've built this place in what four years or something. Yeah, so, like so I think 2017 is when we actually started. We bought it in 2016, but yeah. that 
like serious building works. Now, we're still learning as we're going. We yeah, got our yeah, kennel elements are rotting away. We should have done something different. Of there. course, and you're learning something new all the time. And I think uh, one of the really good examples of that was, I mean, we saw today when we came back, your two uh, volunteers that are working with you right now, uh, they're from the Netherlands, right? They're training. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're students who have come over to do their practical period okay. with us for a while. And they went out running the dogs with you. It seems to be the first snow today of the, yeah. of the year. It's been kind of cold and wet and slushy very it's it's almost more miserable than like the super crispy cold you get in like february march and april and the girls obviously didn't wear hats they didn't wear gloves and they looked like they were going to cry when they came back <laughs> you know and i was looking out the window i was talking to yoel i was saying you'll only do that once yeah think, they'll uh, learn <laughs> learning from your mistakes so, i think so like wh where does that come into obviously you've probably done a million things wrong as much as you've done a million things right you the main thing is that I've, oh, we fucked up so many times. Uh, we have We've, to. We fucked up so spectacularly yeah. at some times as well. <laughs> but um, the main thing is that we try and what we try and do also, and it's funny you ask that. It, some of my it pisses off some of my guides as well in the sense that we're all supposed to be you know intelligent monkeys here. Um, we learn from our mistakes. That's the basis. So you do something, you, it goes wrong. You sit down. You go, what went wrong? What are we going to do better? Now, we've not been, this last couple of years have been a bit quiet because of corona and things, but when we're operating and things are working well, usually what happens when we have a, an incident at the kennel, we'll sit down with the crew and we go, guys, what happened? You know, why did it go wrong? And usually I can be quite direct in it. I'm Dutch. I've been told that I, you know, I'm just you don't beat around the bush. Yeah, and sometimes <laughs> it's blunt to the point of being mean. But, um, you know, like, what did you fuck, where did you fuck up? Yeah. You know, literally, yeah. what did you do wrong? Yeah. And I'll be looking at my guys' reactions and the employees' reactions, and if they kind of like go, well, he did, or that went wrong, or the customer did, right? then it's kind of like, well, you know, one of the first things I try and teach my, my guides is that when the customer fucks up, it's your fault. Right. Because you did not see, the, it's, the saying actually goes for dogs, dogs don't make mistakes, Dogs fuck up, it's because you didn't train them well. Well, not in a bad way, but the same goes for our guests. They're coming here with the best of intentions. They have, you know, they want to do something in the nature. They want to travel, have a nice experience with the thing. But honestly, most of them have never done this before. Sure. Um, they've either not traveled in the cold, they're not aware of the cold, they don't know about dogs. You know, their, their reasons for being here can be many. We have the students here today who are getting their first thing of Arctic weather. Mm -hmm. Um, but with our guests as well, you know, the, we have guests from Asian countries who've never seen snow. Yeah, sure. Who have never been out in the wilderness. Sure. You know, for them, wilderness is something that, uh, you know, in some of the Chinese cities, people have never seen, you know, a park. That's about it. Right. And a wilderness, in their mind's eye, is something which, you know, you go out there and you're going to be jumped on by bears and wolves and ripped to pieces. Right. So for them... To go out and uh, into this forest, that's already a big step. It's a completely alien thing. And, you know, our guides are very, can be, you know, sometimes quite blasé or relaxed about it. But mm. I always point mm. out to them, guys, just imagine you getting dropped yeah. in the bad neighborhood of Beijing. Right, exactly. And, you know, and you go, you, you know, find your way home. Oh, totally. It's, <laughs> so, it's all about perspective. And I think it, that's, that's an interesting thing because just to, there's a small comparison I can think of is tattoo artists. Um, tattoo artists, they tattoo people all the time, all day, every day. They're yep. usually heavily tattooed themselves. And 
people seem to lose, or well, I've seen it, not in the industry a little bit, in tattoo artists, um, they tend to lose perspective of like, sometimes it's somebody's first tattoo, they're scared, they're worried about, you know, keeping it clean, they're worried about the size of it, they're worried about the placement of it, yeah. all of these things, and it's such, it's the responsibility of the tattoo artists to be able to say, this is going to work for you, this is not going to work, yeah, gonna advise against this, that, and the other, and you, you, you have someone's, like, safety and life in mm. your hands you know maybe it's not as extreme as that out here but you know it's it's it's, it's an I, important thing it's a good do. it's a good comparison in the sense that in the guides are responsible and they're not only responsible for the customer's safety mm -hmm. but they're also responsible for the dog safety yeah and in the end they're you know they're also responsible for the customer's experience so another thing that i you know i try and impress on my guides and my employees here is that just realize that these people have paid a lot of money to be here. Yeah. And it's not peanuts. It's not, you know, if a family will book a family tour, not even the more expensive one, the budget tour, two adults, two children, they're already looking at close to 500 euros. Yeah. That is for two and a half hours of our time. Yeah. 500 euros. Two and a half hours of their life, 500 euros. That's a lot. Um, you can fly to Turkey for that, mm -hmm. live in an apartment and, or in a, a hotel and eat every day and fly back for one person for that money. Of course. Might even be two in these days, two weeks. So that's a lot of money mm -hmm. and we need to deliver and we only have two and a half hours to make sure that everything runs perfectly to them. From the moment that they, well of course the, this is the thing that we also work with our sales crew. From the moment that they send the email or they reach out to us or they check our Instagram account or whatever, that is to the moment that they leave and write us a review. Mm -hmm. That just needs to be perfect. It needs to be well thought out, needs to be um, understanding of the fact that that 500 euros, you know, some that could, that's a, what is it, for some of the countries that come from a third of their monthly sal salary just spent yeah. on one two and a half hour activity. For sure which will hopefully stay with them for the rest of their lives in a good way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So beside, you know, I've got a lot of people who contact me, of which I'm confident that they can take out a dog team and a bunch of tourists and come back and they will have not killed any guests and they right. will have not killed any dogs. <laughs> and, you know, things will be okay, but they will not have been able to provide the experience. Right. So, and that's what I'm looking for, the people who can provide that little bit of extra mm -hmm, sauce. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of capable guides out there. There's a lot of capable thing, um, you know, professional guides, sure. dog drivers out there. There's a lot of dog drivers who, you know, even by their own admittance, or sometimes they don't admit it, but you can just see that they're way better with their dogs than with people. Right. Yeah. And they don't have any place working in my kennel. I'm sure they're happy driving down the trails and I'll wave at them when we go past, but I can't work with them here because they won't. You at least need to be a gregarious, people-loving person who likes to talk talk about sure. dogs and the things experience and experience. And that, yeah. Because that's also if you're talking about guiding, that's what the guide does. Yeah. They take what the people see and turn it into an understanding and experience yeah. a story. Yeah. Um, Something as lowly as going for a forest walk, a guide will say, hey, this is that tree. Exactly. It's got this kind of little thing. It's about that. And did you know that in the Middle Ages, there yeah. was this little thing happening? Yes. And that is what a guide does. A, you know, that's a good guide. Yeah. And I think that goes for everything. It's not just about saying being up here, but I think as a bushcraft instructor, as even a teacher, like a school teacher, we've all had school teachers that 
have made an impression on us because they were super passionate mm-hmm. about yep. their subject. And you know, you can learn the curriculum until the cows come home as a, as a teacher, but the ability to, to part, impart knowledge and to do it in an engaging and interesting way that, pe- that sticks with people, as you said, for their lives sometimes, yep. that's an important skill to have in, in, mo- in a lot of uh, ways in, in the world, in, in any career you, kind of, you, you, you decide to, uh, to partake in. That, and I was going to ask you as well, it kind of leads on a little bit, if somebody wanted to come and work with you and maybe they w- actually haven't got any experience with, with dogs, um, maybe they're outdoors people are looking for something like to do, like what, what is it that you look for in volunteers? What I look for in volunteers is um, that they're willing to commit to a longer period than a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Right. Because first, th- there is no course that you can do to prepare for this. You're not going to come in here and go, I know what to do. Right. So we're going to have to teach you right from the beginning. And it's going to start with the very basic of cleaning shit. And this is going to take a while. Then we're going to, you know, we need to have people who can then, they can clean shit. They can do it and they understand why they've got to clean shit. Um, I've had people come in, very capable guides who were uh, wanting to help out, offer jobs, and they were kind of, you know, this is beneath me, I'm not here okay. to clean shit. Right. And if that attitude is what you come with, then no way are you going to, if you don't, if you're not bothered to clean my dogs up after my dogs, then you don't deserve to work with them. Right. Because that's a very basic care that goes there. Of course. So, and then you just got to be able to learn the dog's names, follow the routines, just be willing to go out there every day, doing, do seemingly stupid, repetitive jobs for the sake of seeing the results mm-hmm. six months down the line. Mm-hmm. And you might not even be the volunteer there anymore after six months, because right. this is a lot of it is physical training. Yeah. We're doing, you know, many 5K or 10K runs at the moment, which are exactly the same day in, day out. There's, you know, the small variations and stuff does happen. But they shouldn't be too difficult. We're doing this so that in January we're mm-hmm. going to see the result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had to. Uh, apologies, everybody. We had to like just split the, the conversation a little bit there because the dogs were just trying to uh, to leave to go on a run. Um, but I, I kind of want to catch up from where we left off, where you were saying with people volunteering here, if they're not, if if it's beneath them to like clean up shit, then they don't belong here, basically. Yeah, that's basically it. You gotta uh, you gotta be able to work with dogs. Uh, put in the hours and don't make it too romantic. Right. Um, we're not, especially if you're coming in autumn time, it's cold, it's wet, it's rainy, it's repetitive. Yeah. It's day in, day out, just in with the dogs, out with the dogs, in with the dogs, out with the dogs. Yeah. And uh, we might, you know, later on do some camping trips with them or this kind of thing, but that is not yet an issue now. And our focus still is. Tourism first, racing and this kind of thing second. We pay the bills first. Yeah. So um, if you're willing, to, you know, if you want to learn about dogs, their training, how they do, great volunteer. We can find a place for you. Um, but if you're looking for, you know, we'll pretty soon pop any romantic bubbles that there are sure. uh, about it. Yeah. It's just hard work. Yeah. It's grafting in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. So, um, but that's. A good attitude, team player. We get we usually get a pretty eclectic group of people yeah. working here. There's, they're all dog people, so you've got to be able to handle yeah. being the one who doesn't quite get everything that's being said. But yeah. if you can follow and give it a few months, and you'll pretty yeah. you'll be able to come yeah. along with what's happening. Yeah, and you were talking earlier, uh, which was interesting because 
about the kind of the desire to have a perfect run and to try and get things right all the time. Yeah. And oftentimes it's the the the, the camps that you fuck up on or the runs that you fuck up on that you learn the most from. It yeah, you you don't if everything goes well you haven't learned anything. Exactly. Of course we all want everything to go well and I'm also still looking for that elusive perfect run yeah. or a clean run. But um you know, there's such a big difference. I've read a story of this one lady was explaining about it, and I've seen it also happen to myself and all the people that I've worked with. What is a struggle in the beginning? You know, the same, you go out, the thing, mistakes happen and problems happen and dogs bite lines and things run away and stuff break and wrong directions and whatever. Mm-hmm. Exact same things are going to happen two or three years later. They're just going to happen because that's normal. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be older and smarter and wiser, and you're just going to take them in your stride and handle them. And it's so funny that, you know, I've been doing this now for 20 years. There's not, all the guys are like, you know, what's going to happen and how do, what do we do then? And I, I find it very hard to explain mm-hmm. because I'm just, when things happen, I react and I solve the problem. And I can't beforehand, if you would ask me what happens then, mm-hmm. You know, I'd be going <laughs> like, find out. yeah, yeah, I was like, I don't know, but I'll just solve the problem as it comes up. Sure. And you just, you know, ah, oh, this has happened 25 times before. This is what I did last time. Oh, yeah. it's not working. Well, yeah. then I have, yeah. you know, so you just go through your things and that's what experience brings. Troubleshooting. And troubleshooting, solving the problem, going again. And the more you do it, the more arrows you got in your quiver. Totally. And next time, yeah. you know, something happens. And it's always so funny that my, our guides are trying to like, something happens. I tell them, hey guys, you, you could have solved it like this, or you solved it well, or hey, that's cool. I never thought you could do it like that and right. it work. Right. Um, but then they're like, and then usually when we talk it through, and then it, it, the, the discussion will veer off. But if it happens like this, you can solve it like that. Mm. But then sometimes that doesn't happen very often, but most of the time it'll happen like this. But then you solve it like this, except when that happens, mm. and then you got to do that. Right. But then you got to think that if this is happening and there's a team over there that's doing that, then that's not the right solution, but you got to do it this way. Right. So you'll eventually get also situational awareness about you might be solving the problem right here in front of your nose, which is actually causing a problem Elsewhere. later down the line. Right. A good example was just recently the girls who were helping out, we went out on a little cart ride. And one of the tug lines of the leader snapped mm-hmm. as they were going out. They actually didn't see it. Um, and they ran off. They, they sort of left. They didn't see it. Veronica, my wife, told them, just keep on going. They drove a hundred meters and then they saw the problem. Mm-hmm. And they stopped and the, the one of the girls started to run back again. Okay. Now we're, it's, there's three or four dog teams leaving. The dogs are all going apeshit. They really want to go. It's not the right time to stop, run back to the thing. Okay. Of course, if you're out alone, it's a different story. But in this case, I was up at the front with a dog, with a quad bike and all the spare parts and this kind of thing. So the right solution would have been to drive that 300 meters. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not perfect, but you get there. We'll stop. We'll solve the solution. Catch up. And then just keep on going. Yeah. So most of, and this is a bit difficult for some people to think, most of the solutions with dog teams are ahead of you, not behind you. Interesting. Because you got, you can't turn around a dog team. It's always focused on just moving forward. And it is controlled chaos in many times. It's just nature harnessed. It wants to move forward. 
And if you are not capable of safely stopping it, sometimes you just got to keep on moving until you can safely yeah. stop it. Yeah. And that's why hopefully the stuff doesn't happen. But the reality is it does. Yeah. I love that term, nature. It's nature harnessed. I think for a lot of outdoors people, not just, I suppose, dog sledding, but for a lot of outdoor activities, that's kind of what you're dealing with a lot of the time. And I guess what you're talking about there is kind of like dirt time. We call it dirt time. It's like uh, drilling and like, you know, going on survival courses. Uh, like I, I did one a couple of years ago with uh, Dave Canterbury, who's, um, he runs the Pathfinder School in, in the States, came over to, to Sweden. And a lot of the drilling is done under time pressure. Um, you're with a teammate and you've got to like get a fire going, boil water, get your shelter up as a team in under like eight minutes, okay. which is, is a difficult thing to do. Yep. And, and, and at the end of the course, you've got to do that after you've run a, a navigation course while the other team member is gathering sticks uh, on the way there so that when you get into camp, you're ready to go, you can light your fire. And it's extremely, uh, and also you've got one match each. So... It's, it's, just the stress. It's, it's a lot yeah. of pressure and it's a lot of strain and stress on you but if you do that often enough and a lot of people will train for that course for a long time before they do it yeah. I, I myself did um, and so when you're in that under pressure moment you, your hands are a little bit shaky from the adrenaline of trying to, you don't, you don't want to fail um, but if it happens again and it happens in real life you're like okay we've got this yeah, we've got this, you've you done it. Yeah, yeah. the same goes yeah. of course you know we do this as I was so talking about, it's just routine. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. for many of, especially when we're talking about amateur teams, mm -hmm. um, and there's amateur teams which are at a way higher level than we are. I just had the luxury of this is an eight and forty hour per week job mm -hmm. for many of the people. We mm -hmm. come here, we come here, we do the job. It's got to train. Our dogs have the same professional attitude, and so you know we're we're working. We've got this routine going. Now most other kennels don't have that luxury. Um, they've got day jobs or other jobs or something, and they've got to do it next to, you okay. know, it's part of the thing, but not everything. Here it's sure. everything. Of course, we got people doing marketing and whatnot, but that's, it all resolves around that. Mm. So this dirt time that you're talking about, that's what we're doing right now. We're preparing for winter time. Yep. Our dogs are getting ready for winter time. The guides um, will slowly start trickling in as the season gets closer. And they will sort of like the machine will absorb them, mm -hmm. and they will, mm -hmm. you know, they'll hopefully pick up the routine mm -hmm. again, and then we keep on going. If everything goes well, it's a really well-oiled machine that we have here. Um, it's I evaluate it by the time that the machine grinds to a halt how we handle that. But when everything goes well, it's a thing of beauty. Mm -hmm. When it doesn't, it can be nasty. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's again. It's not that problems happen, it's how you react to the problem. Yeah. That is, that's what, just what counts. Sure. Because problems are going to happen anyway. So we try and make sure that whatever happens, if there's a problem, it doesn't come at the cost of the dogs or at the, you know, it's not their fault and our guests. So those are the two that need to keep on moving mm -hmm. and that they need to get what they want. But grind time, it's important, or dirt time, mm -hmm. in, this, in what you were talking mm -hmm. about. It's funny how routine does that. I, I, I came to Finland to do an outdoor guiding course at Opaskursi in Kuru, and uh, we went on quite many hiking trips with uh, various instructors, and one of them was really good, Martikolka, and this guy was funny, He's, he'd done solo canoeing trips down Canadian rivers for months on end, and done all kinds of crazy stuff, 
and we'd be walking down the forest and we'd head up through the forest in Russia going on you know two week three week or two week hiking trips and every day one pair of the guides students would be the daily guide okay and the funny thing was that it was so funny every day we went out the guides were like oh, I think we need to sort of it's about time that we start camping and you know might this be a good spot and by the time they had done their eternal deliberation Marty had his tent up, the fire going, <laughs> and the coffee set already. And you'd just sit there and you'd go, Make it so easy. Yeah. He's got the best spot already. There's the wood, there's the water, there's the dry patch, there's the wind direction is perfect. You'd yeah. just be like, you know, we were sitting there going, <laughs> Yeah, finger to the wind. <laughs> is it, you know, is this okay? Are we good? And he'd be sure. like, you know, who's coffee? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just so funny that you were talking about this eight-minute time limit. Yeah. I don't think he ever participated in a competition in his life, but he would have beat everyone because oh, sure. he was yeah. just so, you know, if you could teleport him out of Helsinki City in, into the middle of the Canadian wilderness, he would probably not blink an eye. That's amazing, isn't and it? And just sort of like, you know, change gears and, you know, yeah. we're good. Some people are cut from a different cloth. So but, yeah. he, was, he was good. He was really something different. That's really cool, man. But um, look, it's been amazing to talk to you, and thanks for giving me the time. Just before we go, what's what's in the future for for Bear Hill this year? Is there anything new and evolving coming? That I suppose, obviously, with this last year and a half, has been a bit of a, a shit shit storm. For it's been a shit storm. Yeah. We got to literally relearn how to do this business. Yeah. Um, of course, we've got experience to go back on, but we got to relearn it. We're going to do a bit of racing. Yeah. And hopefully we're going to do a big push on sustainability and environmentalism and cool. things in the, in the business as cool. well. We've got some interesting stuff coming on historic sites on the uh, in the land that we own, Viking swords and things like this. So um, interesting stuff coming up. Cool. Awesome. Well, I look really look forward to seeing what you guys are doing in the future. And thanks again so much for having us. And you've got an absolutely stunning place here. And, Thank you. And I look forward to coming back again. Pleasure talking. Yeah, yeah take care. Man. Thank you.